started. Uh, so one thing Zach and I always do, we always go first. So no one ever has to feel they have to break the ice. And the weird thing with me right now is like I'm working a lot of things, but I don't feel even more ready to read. There is one piece which my editor said, you cannot read this at your thingy until it publishes because it's, it's not a big deal because it's not like nuclear science. It's, it's a little bit of a data thing. So he said, don't read it. You have to wait. Another piece I feel like this is not good enough to read at all. So I'm going to read an older thing because our friend over here, Kent, is taping this tonight because we are going to turn this into a podcast because the world needs, in this moment right now, is another podcast, specifically a podcast with a nerdy white guy like me yelling at a nerdy white guy like Zach and our nerdy friends who will think beyond this uh, about music and whatever. That's what the world needs. That's why we're doing a podcast for you. It'll be half interviews in some studio and half live tapings, and we're kind of doing a dry run. So, and here's a piece that like I like to read because I think it's fun. Live, maybe you'll agree, maybe you won't. And it's one of my favorite topics about me being way too into music to the exclusion of certain social skills. When I was younger, before I kind of learned a few things. So I hope you like it. You might have seen me do it before, you might have not. It's called My Brilliant Short-Lived Career as a DJ. Could you please play something else? What do you mean? Future Sounds of London are one of the most innovative electronic acts in the history of music, I said, being insufferable. Their approach to beat make... Michael, no one wants to fucking hear this shit. As the futuristic clicks and words of the Life Form album were forcibly replaced by my roommate for a Billy Joel compilation album, I knew that... Yet again, my efforts to raise a collective musical IQ of the party would not be properly appreciated on this evening. During my sophomore year of college, I lived with four young women in a large, dilapidated house down the street from a fraternity. I doubt this house had been occupied by non-students since the Eisenhower administration. I had never been invited to a party in high school, and I was determined to make up for it now. But on my own terms, during the days leading to the parties we would throw, I would agonize over the playlist. This is my chance to show off my discerning taste and harder knowledge. I would not admit that this, this out loud at the time, but I just really want to impress, impress people with how cool I was with my music taste. Perhaps it should be more clear. Women. I desperately wanted to impress women with how cool I was with my musical taste. I mean, fuck dudes, right? Who cares? One party had what might now term an elegant goth theme. Mood lighting, black clothing, that sort of thing. I played the second Portis album because I hoped it would create a nourish party full of darkness and danger. And then my discernment and sophistication would be noticed. And then sex would happen. In a turn of events that no one could have possibly foreseen, Sex did not happen that night, at least for me, because I played the Portishead album and then stood in the corner and didn't say hi to anyone except people I already knew. I had a very weird game back then. It was a long time ago, what can I say? 
Instead, a Nibri woman demanded that I play Sublime because her and her friends drove five fucking hours to this party and they want to hear some fucking Sublime. Why they drove five hours to this party to this day, I have no idea whatsoever. This party took place in Columbia, Missouri in the middle of fucking nowhere Midwest with a bunch of awkward journalism students, but they were there at the party. They want to hear fucking Sublime, and I live to please, so I play Santeria. And lo, there were sway-alongs. Lo, there were sway-alongs. We all group, group circles singing along to Bradley Noel, may he rest in peace. I tried for quite a while to button the experience of the zinger, but everything I wrote fell short. Some experiences cannot be buttoned with a zinger. Flash forward to the ninth year of my 16th year. I graduated from college, but I yet to screw up the courage to move to New York to make it as a writer, whatever the hell it is that means. During that strange limo period, I moved back to Orlando, Florida, where I was born, and I wrote for the weekly and daily paper. I worked with one of those free monthly rags you find at bars with chicken wing specials. It was run at the time by eternal frat boy Cokehead, who loved to get drunk and explain to me in detail the plots of various Wolf Ferrell movies he'd seen the week before. I told him I was too hungry to do much. If I ever told him I was too hungry to work that day, he nodded in vigorous approval. Though I drew a negligible paycheck for the experience, I mainly took the job big eclipse. Contacts and guest list spots, all of which I abused to the maximum amount they possibly could. Most of my friends moved on from Orlando or had real jobs at that time. But being internally restless, I basically went out, I basically went out every night. You have to understand this is before television had actually become anointed as a great American art form, and I wasn't watching the shield of the wire back then, so I didn't know any better. I take no pride or designation in saying that back then I was an Orlando singster. It was not a hard won designation. I could basically say I was the most physically fit rock critic at my town. It's not that hard to do. Though I knew most of the doormen and club owners, I was still surprised when I got a call on Saturday morning asking me if I had to come, in, come to DJ at a nightclub called The Back Booth. The club had recently changed management in power struggle have most of the town gossiping, and the details of which I can barely remember. The new manager knew me from around, and was desperate to ride the ship as soon as possible. He asked me if I wanted the DJ heavy metal night, and I agreed. Though the mainstream popularity of heavy metal continually waxes and wanes, and is at a particularly low point at the moment, metal will never die in Florida. Long after God finally puts that fucker back in the ocean, as it deserves, my black trench coat, trench coat people will be throwing up their horns at the great and wise Neptune. I knew I had a sacred duty in front of me, and I immediately went about crafting a playlist that was, to use a complicated and very technical terminology, heavy as fuck. I'm talking Slayer and Pantera and Slayer and some death metal band I've lost the, I've lost the ability to properly pronounce and Slayer, and Mastodon, and Slayer, and Cannibal Corpse, and Slayer, and Judah Priest, and for good measure, some Slayer. I also prepared the 20 minute long song, song by Mogwai, My Father, My King, for my bathroom break, 
which is a trick I learned from a college radio DJ girl I once dated. That song kind of bummed people out. I should point out now when I say I DJed, what I mean is that I loaded two different burn CD, mix CDs into a soundboard and move a fader between the two of them to lower the volume on one while raising the volume on the other. If referring to this process as DJing causes you any sort of physical pain, I apologize. But the true meaning of all sacred words eventually evaporate into the ether. For more insights into this process, go ask an old punk. No one really danced from a metal shift, but I don't know if that had anything to do with me. Well, maybe. At one point, a young lady asked if I had any Motley Crue, and I responded with, no, but I have Meshuggah. In case you don't know, Meshuggah are a deeply technical Swedish metal band that sounds like they're trying to solve a complicated trigonomic question via a double kick drum. This answer did not place her, but the maze-like time signatures echo through the club in a way I found quite, quite pleasing. At the end of the night, the manager told me, when I said metal, I thought you meant like you were going to play like poison or something, Michael. But my inability to properly rep Brett Michaels did not preclude me from getting invited back the next Saturday to spend what was then called the Indie Night and what we called the Brett Pop Night, the Alternative Night, or the College Radio Night, or the New Wave, or the new wave Night at various times in the somewhat recent past. The jeans were tight, the loose stairs were well rehearsed, and the ironic and or vintage t-shirts were probably the most considered things in many of the patrons' lives. In many of the patrons' lives. I was in heaven. The quote, the wise men eclipse. Club night is one of the reasons I love life. If you're thinking you have an inkling of how much time and thought energy I put into the selection of pace of my set, of my set, I assure you, you're wrong. And that was actually much more than you're thinking to an absurd degree. Believe me, all I really want to do is describe in microscopic detail and Ken Burnsian scope how cool and smart my set was, how I mixed microscope, how I mixed crowd-pleasing favorites and obscure cuts that only the cognizant would know, how I threw together fun backpack rap and pre-punk and even got pop missed before it was a thing. I took it down. I took it up until we were all one in the groove and we knew that night that no matter what happened to us, it'd be okay because we would live forever because we had that moment. But I won't do that to you because there's laws against masturbating in public. You know, I played some Cure, some Latigre because it was 2003, uh, some Rapture, some other stuff. People danced and had seen a pretty good time. I can't remember if I was paid or not, but I'm sure that I wasn't because I'm very, very bad at negotiating for myself. Towards the end of the set, I played the Beatles Tomorrow Never Knows, faded in perfectly after the aggressive electronic song I just played, which I think was by probably The Rapture, but may have been by uh, Radio 4. I can't remember now. And I stood there congratulating myself on how tasteful my mix was when a young lady came up to me and said, hey, what was that song you just played? And I said, oh, it's by some band your mom used to like. And as she walked away, I was like, I am pretty clever with my burns. And later, uh, back then I was very, very, very lonely. All of my friends had moved away. I knew like one person in my town still. So I was in, because I didn't have a blog, I was sending people emails describing my life that week in minute detail. And people I knew had this deal with it because they knew me and decided they still liked me. And one of my friend of mine, Kate, said, You know, Michael, 
that girl was probably looking for an excuse to say hi to you. And you shut her down for no reason whatsoever because you do self-destructive shit like that all the time for God knows reasons. And I said, oh, you don't say. That had not occurred to me. I'm not proud of my actions in that moment. I'm not even trying to go into pull some, she didn't know the Beatles, she deserved it shit in my defense. Putting someone down for not knowing everything about everything is a dick move and I feel bad about it to this day. I truly hope that she brushed it off and I found some nicer guy that evening and they both got married in a matching black converse ceremony. But what's weird is, I was usually better than that sort of thing. I hate to be, you know, I hate, to the extent that the board is on the pathological, hurting anyone's feelings or letting anyone down for any reason whatsoever. I have been guest shamed, and I guess you hadn't heard them before, to an extent when I was a young person that I was very, very against that sort of thing when I got older. I remember how much, I remember how much it hurt to feel that there was nothing you could do to finally know everything and feel cool for once. Many close to your friends of mine don't even pay attention to music. They say nothing of movies or books or what have you. I love them without reservation, even when they like truly objectionable shit. Like my coworker at the time, with the blue hair, who proudly said her favorite band was Good Charlotte, and her second favorite band was Newfound Glory. Sure, I told her that she might enjoy the music talking to say The Clash or Green Day or literally anyone better. But I usually fought, the t- uh, fought very hard to keep my inner snob in check and not make fun of her for music choices. A few months before the gig, said coworker of the blue hair and I went to a B-52's gig on Valentine's Day. It wasn't a date, but also wasn't not a date. It was fun and weird, and no one knew what to say, and good God, I'm glad I'm not single anymore. The next weekend, I called and asked if she wanted to do something else, something, in a way that wasn't clear if I was asking her out or not asking her out. Though, of course, we both knew what, what it was. She made an excuse that I still can't remember. We continued to work together and see each other whenever I felt like showing up at the office. I never actually felt asked her how she felt or told her I felt. But that's something adults do. And back then, all my feelings were jumbled together and they locked in a chain lock fence. Present, but not accessible to me. Of course, I went on a ton of awkward dates before that and plenty, too many really, of things that became a thing, but never quite got to thingness in my life. But something about the particular period of my life was particularly, was particularly wayward. As in, trying to convince yourself that a Republican girl with a boyfriend that's flirting with you is a good idea. Or, yes, you should go on that one date. And though, I will say, for, I will say if you ever get the opportunity to go on a date, which is basically you watching Six Feet Under with the person next to you that you know hates you, I recommend doing it. It's a growing experience. But again, this is no excuse. I was hardly the first frustrated nerd who didn't fit in anywhere, who grabbed bits and pieces of things he loved to make his own world. I like to think that I wasn't one of those nerds who refused to let you into his world and said smirked at you from the gates. But you're never as far from things you hate as you'd like to be. A few months after I met the gig, I met after that gig, I met someone and didn't have to go out every single night anymore. I eventually learned how to be okay with myself. But that's another piece for another time. The manager never asked me to DJ again. He probably figured he could find someone else who would, who would just hit play on that post service CD and not make everyone listen to Guitar Wolf and the gossip and demand free drinks. He was wise that way. 
Last time I went to the club's website, it seemed there was a show. I'd, I, but last time I went to the club's website, I'd see if there's a show I could see while I was in town to visit my parents. It was all a bunch of metalcore bands I'd never heard of, and I felt very, very old. No one's asked me to DJ since I moved to New York, which is understandable. That guy from that thing that was cool but then it closed down isn't really going to get packed people into the club. I get it. I know, but my dreams die hard. Maybe one day I'll get the chance to be taken to the crack at it, maybe even the proper turntables, as I finally cracked and became a vinyl person, much to my wife's chagrin. Now we have vinyl over the house and it's a total mess. If anyone else wants to come to the gig, I promise to take requests and politely answer any questions that might come my way. Maybe the Future Sounds of London have something on vinyl. Thanks. History's greatest artistic works. Citizen Kane. Hamlet. The Flair Steamboat Trilogy. We'll only be discussing one of these on our new podcast, The Best There Ever Was, where we discuss the art of professional wrestling and the emotional connection that brings us back to it. On season one, we're talking about greatest matches ever by members of the WWE Hall of Fame. But definitely not Coco Beware. I'm Fax. And I'm Chris. And join us, the Curtain Jerks, as we discuss wrestling's greatest matches on The Best There Ever Was on the Atlantic Transmission Network. This has been an Atlantic Transmission production. Hey!